Uh, this morning, our topic for the sermon is God's relationship with us as Father. Is it on? Not my PowerPoint is not on yet. Let me see. PowerPoint, you are pressed on? Great, that's the topic today. You know, if you ask people, how does your father relate to you? I bet there'll be many different answers. Some may say, you know, my father is a strict disciplinarian. Some may say, my father is my buddy. He let me do whatever I wanted. And some say, my father, well, he just provide me the family with the finance. That's it. My father is like a stranger. Or you get different answers. Oh, my father. I remember him as my mess tutor. Well, as Christian, we know that God is our father. But do you know how God relates to you as father? We have different conception about concept about God as a father. But I want to show you the three important aspect, aspects of what God is like as father and compare the way you are fathers, how we are fathers to our children. I believe this is important because if you do not appreciate fully how God relates to us as father, we will miss out on the full blessing of having God as our Father. You miss out the blessing. And you will not be able to live up to God's plan for your life. Now, I want to go back to the Bible and look at references to see how God relates to us as Father. So, three aspects only because time does not permit for more than three aspects. Number one, God as our friend. Doesn't work, is it? Let me see. How do you press? Is it press the arrow? Oh, it's on, it's on. Done. Yep. God is our friend. Well, we know in the Bible there are two famous people who are regarded as God's friend. Number one is Moses, Exodus 31 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And uh, the second person is Abraham. All right. Second Chronicles 20, verse 7. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And who is this talking to God? And what occasion was it? Well, it was when the vast army of the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites were going to attack Judah. And the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, was desperate. 
and you call to God, God, we are descendants of Abraham, your friend. We can count on you because of your friendship with our forefather, Abraham, that you're going to rescue us. Another reference, Isaiah 41, verse 8. The Lord says to Israel, But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. You know, it's what a great honor and, and privilege and blessing to have the God of the universe calling you my friend, Tommy, my friend. God said to you, uh, God said, Ben, my friend. It's just incredibly wonderful to think about that. You know, God of the galaxies, who am I? I'm just like a less than a dot on the scale of the universe. And God said, well, he said, my friend. All right, what about New Testament Christian like us? Are we also considered God's friend? All right? Are only the two famous persons like Abraham, Moses? Answer is yes. John 15, 14 to 15. All right, this is Jesus' word confirming that we are also God's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because the master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. Well, here Jesus said, we are his friends. Disciples are his friends. But what about God the Father? Well, the implication of the Trinity is that if the Son is our friend, the Father is our friend. So it's, and I can show you other places where it implies that God, the Father, is our friend. We don't have to be Abraham. We don't have to be special like Moses. You and I, as ordinary as we are, we are also God's friend. But you know, friendship is not automatic. We all know friendship can fall out, friendship can grow cold, drift apart. So it's important we know how we foster relationship and friendship with God. How do we foster friendship with God? Number one, friendship must be reciprocated. You've got to reciprocate friendship with God. You've got to choose whether you want to be God's exclusive friend. You know that God is very exclusive. I know you say, God shouldn't be exclusive, but when it comes to friendship, God is uh, an exclusive person. He said, I will have no other I want your total passionate devotion to me because he is like that to you. All right, so we must choose not to be the friend of the world. Friendship of the world is a no-no. You want to have friendship with God. James 4, 4 to 5. James said, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. So important, I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scripture have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed with us should be faithful to him, faithful, passionate to God. 
because he is like that to us. God is a faithful friend and he requires us to reciprocate his friendship by being his faithful and passionate friend. You cannot choose friendship with God and choose friendship with the world. You know, in recent weeks, we have been in, in, the, in the Russell Hill, the, the, the Mandarin congregation of this church, a lady from China, she has been coming to the church. And then one day when I took her home, uh, she's asked me, Pastor, can I still go and read Buddhist scripture? Because I've been using reading Buddhist scripture. And can I also go to continue to go to temple? And, you know, I, I have an affinity. I am affectionate also to those Chinese God, the Kuan Yin and all this. I said, you know, God is the only true God. And he would not want you to share devotion with him with any other God, so-called God. At the moment, she's not convinced. And my prayer is that one day she will realize that this is our God. He would not simply want, want you to share devotion with another entity. You've got to choose. Is it God or idols? Is it God of the world? So, we must reciprocate to be passionate, to be faithful to God in our friendship with Him. Because God rejects, God doesn't want lukewarmness. He said, you either be cold or you be hot. You want me to be in between, no deal. Secondly, how do we foster friendship with God? Number one, we, we reciprocate. Number two, we must cultivate. And the way God described cultivating friendship with Him is in a way of walking, walking with the Lord. You know, I walk with the Lord. I walk with God. I walk with Him. God said to Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. Walk with me. And one of the famous, one of the Sunday school teacher, I mean Sunday school uh, story is one of this person called Enoch. He lived 365, Enoch lived 365 years. When he was 365 years, those days was considered as just young adults. You know, those days they lived up to almost 1,000 years. So he was just 365. But he lived for 300. When he was, when he lived 365 years, walking in close fellowship with God, one day, he disappeared because God took him. Well, apparently, uh, you know, enjoy friendship with God so much that, you know, he said to God, you know, why don't you take me home, you know, and we can have friendship forever. I need to go back to my earthly home. And God did that. He's one of the two, one of only two people in the Old Testament who were taken to heaven without having to die. The other person, of course, is Elijah. You remember? He went to heaven in chariots of fire. Amazing. Now, we need to cultivate friendship by spending time with God, walking with the Lord. Now, there are hindrances to friendship with God. What are the hindrances? 
Number one, we have seen friendship with the world hinder your friendship with God. If you spend all your time with things of the world, you pursue things of the world, you embrace values of the world which are opposite to values of God, your values is so opposite to the values of God that, you know, if friends have different values, it's hard to click. Don't you think so? I mean, if I go and talk with the friends, and uh, I, don't, I want to talk about this, he keep on talking about shares, I want to talk about orchid, he talk about share. After a while, I said, oh, I, I think <laughs> I wouldn't want to continue, right? So, you see, it's in the same way, we need to reject. Uh, one of the hindrances is friendship with the, with the world. Secondly, the second hindrance is sin in our lives. Why? Sin sets up a barrier between you and God. Because you know why? Well, this verse tells us, 1 John 1, 6. So, we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. If you continue to live in spiritual darkness, and you say you have fellowship with God, you have friendship with God, oh, yeah, I'm a, friendship, I'm a friend of God, but you continue to live in spiritual darkness that is in sin. You are not telling the truth. You are not practicing the truth. Practicing the truth. So, sin will cause barrier in our friendship with God. Number three, the third hindrance is being spiritually lukewarm. You have seen before. In the book of Revelation, the church at Laodicea was one very zealous for the Lord. They were passionate, but they became prosperous. And the things of this world have just crowded their lives, so they have lost passion for the Lord. So the Lord said to them, you are neither cold nor hot. And the Lord wanted them to invite him back into their lives. And so, Revelation 3, 20, Jesus said, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. We'll come in and we can have supper together. How about that? Would you want to do that? So that we can rekindle our friendship. You've lost your passion for God. You know what? Could be anything that caused you to lose interest. With God, God is knocking on your heart. Would you open your heart again to Him? Invite Him in? Now I want to talk about the blessings of having God as our friend. The first blessing is we can count on God to help us. As we have seen, when a vast army came from Edom to attack Judah, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, pleaded with God. He said, God, you've got to fight for us because we are the ancestor of Abraham, your friend. And did God buy into that argument? Yes, of course God would help them because they are my good friend, Abraham's descendant. So God fought for them and that day, all the armies that came against Judah, self-destroyed each other. It was a miracle. God 
fought the battle for Judah. Uh, that was the, this, this reference we already read, so I won't uh, bother to read again. Second Chronicles 27, where God said, where Judah, Jehoshaphat said, O oh our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? Give it forever to the descendant of Abraham, your friend. So God answered because true, God can be counted to help because of friendship. Even because of friendship of their ancestor. You see, when you are God's friend, God actually not only bless you, He blessed your children. And He blessed your children's children to many, many generations. That's incredible. So it's, it's really a good, it's such a blessing. If you are an intimate friend of God, God will bless your children and your children's children. The second blessing is that God confides in us. You know what? Good friends confide with each other. You know, you are transparent. Good friends don't try to hide. You confide. And in the same way, Jesus said he will confide in his disciples because he treated them as his friends. Let me read again. John 15, 14 to 15. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you slave because a master does not confide in his slave. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. See? God Jesus revealed to the disciple whatever God the Father revealed to him. And another instance, you know, we know that Abraham is a friend of God. And so when God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, when God was about to turn away, then he said to the other two companions, you know, Genesis 18, 17, should I hide my plan from Abraham? I shouldn't. I'm about to overthrow Sodom and Gomorrah where his nephew Lot was residing. And because of this confiding of the plan to overthrow Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham interceded fervently for Lot and Lot and his family were spared. So these are the blessings. And in fact, where Elijah also got confides in him. Remember, he, when he was about to be taken to heaven, he already knew. Even Elijah knew. So Elijah was following him closely to catch the cloak if he were to be taken up. So sure enough, when Elijah was taken up in chariots of fire, the cloak fell down and Elijah caught it and got the double portion of the anointing of Elijah. See, God confides in Elijah because Elijah was also God's friend. You want to know God's plan, plan for your life? Sometimes we are confused. I don't know God's will for me. Should I marry this girl? Should I marry that man? Should I do this job? Do I do that? Should I go for a mission field? You, if you are walking closer with the Lord and God and, and your friendship with God is intimate, I tell you what, God will tell you His plan. We can be sure. 
based on Scripture. So God, how does God relate to us? Number one, as a friend. Number two, as our trainer. Yes. I wonder whether you have thought of God as a trainer, but He is our trainer. In the ancient world, the fathers train and equip their children for life's work. A carpenter will teach their children how to be a carpenter. A blacksmith will pass on the skill of a blacksmith. A chef, pass on the chef. How, if you are specialized in the roast duck, you teach your children how to do roast duck, right? And you are a, a good chakwetyo person, you teach your children how to do chakwetyo. Okay. And a warrior will teach his son how to be a good warrior. And the skill passed on from generation to generation. And God the Father is the same. In two major areas, God trains us. God is a trainer in two major important areas. Number one, God trains us in the area of spiritual warfare. God is a warrior. God is a fighter. You've got to fight a good fight. You've got, you got to be like me, a, a mighty warrior. Commander of the angelic army. You know what? Whether you like it or not, the moment you choose God as your God, you have a battle at your hand. Whether you like it or not. I say, no, no, I don't like to fight. Sorry. You are in a battlefield. Once you become a Christian, the devil will attack you. The world will persecute you. Your sinful nature will seduce you to sin. My friend, you are up against the devil, the world, and the enemy within your own nature, sinful and ever ready to seduce back to the old ways. So God trained us in spiritual warfare to overcome the world, overcome the devil, overcome your sinful nature. Secondly, God trained us for our life work. You know that each of us has a life work, work that God has mapped out for us, a career path God has mapped out for you. How do I know it? Well, later on I'll tell you that. First of all, I want to tell you, give you two references that show us that God trained us. Psalm 141 verse 1, David's prayer or David's praises. David said, Praise the Lord who is my rock. He trains my hands for war. He gives my fingers skill for battle. You know, King David, you read the one king, two king, the King David has gone through so many battles. Sometimes he, he might have sat back, but most of the time he, he would be victorious. He has gone through Many, many battles. He is an experienced fighter. And where did he get his training from? Because the Lord trains my hand to fight. All right, another verse that tells us that God is a trainer is in Deuteronomy 32, verse 11. This is the part of the songs of Moses. See, when the people of Israel were rescued from Egypt as slaves and entered the promised land and occupied the promised land, they celebrated. And Moses burst out in wonderful song of praise 
retracing the history of God's deliverance. And this is part of his, 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 his song to God. He said, he said, you see, God is a... Let me read first this verse. Yeah. Like an, like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young, so he spread his wings to take them up and carried them safely on his pinions. Is a description of God as a father eagle or mother eagle, rousing the chicks, that is the Israelites. The Israelites were comfortable in Egypt. They said, we don't want to go to the wilderness. We don't want to go and promise that. We like to be in Egypt, although we are slaves. But God took them out, kicked them out of the nest in Egypt. And this is how God did that, to, and trained them. See, the chicks are very comfortable resting in the nest, perched on top of a cliff. In order to train the chicks to fly, the eagle would flush them out, you know, shake the nest, kick them out. And then they would plunge down, and they would plunge down. But the eagle will be hovering around them and ready to swoop and catch them before they fall to their death. That's how the, the eagle trained them to fly and to hunt. So sometimes, you know, when God wants to train us, He pushes you out of your comfort zone. He asks you to step out, step out. Walk on the water, go deeper. Now we don't like it. It's uncomfortable. You know, it's, we don't want it. We are not a risk taker. We are averse to risk. I am. The, the older I am, the less, the, the less likely I want to take risk. I'm very comfortable not doing anything challenging. But you want to be trained? You want to fulfill God's plan for your life? You want to be a mighty warrior? You've got to accept that, that you must be willing to be pushed out of your comfort zone, like the chicks being pushed out of your nest. But God is a mighty eagle, ready to build you up, scoop you up before you fall to your death. So God is a trainer, mainly in two areas. Number one, God trained us in spiritual warfare. We, this is familiar. I'll just, I'll just cursory read to you. Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. A final word. Be, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategy of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirit in the heavenly places. See, we are fighting all this. We are. That's Paul said. You and I are fighting this powerful enemy. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you'll be, you'll still be standing firm. So God train us, give up the armor, teach us how to put on the armor, teach us how to depend on the Holy Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, attack the shield, the shield to, to withstand the fiery darts of the enemy. So God trained us in warfare. Secondly, God trained us in 
our major life work. What is a Christian's life work? What is your life work? What, is, what do you think God wants you to do for your life? What is your life work? Well, this verse tells us, Ephesians 2.10, Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to what? Do good works. When did God map out the career for you? Which God created in advance for us to do. In advance, before you were Christian. Before you were born. Before even you existed. Before even the world were created. Imagine. Before the world were created, God knew you. God ordained, God predestined you. God already had in mind your life work. How incredible. Now what is your life work? It's not just to do yeah, good work, to do good work. You see, you're, you're supposed to do good work. But good work doesn't mean be a missionary. Good work doesn't mean to preach like me. Good work doesn't mean to be a pastor. Good work means simply whatever God has called you to do, do a good job. Your work ethics, your attitude to people. The people will see in you Jesus, the way you relate. You can be a teacher, but if you love your student, if you give your best and teach well, the teacher said, I like my teacher. He's, he's so care. He's so careful. He, he, I can see that he cares for us. See? Then they know, they see Jesus in them. If you're a doctor, you just don't care about your money. Of course, you should be rewarded for your money, but not exorbitantly, like some. And you, you care for your patient. And you have a colleague in, in co you're a colleague. You care for them. You are considerate. You're willing to go an extra mile. Because your colleagues see Jesus in you. That is good work. And Jesus said, even if you do something like appear to be good work, casting out demon, be a miracle worker, be a faith healer, but you do it out of self-motivation, out of show off out of making money, lining your pocket. That is not good work. That's evil work. And Jesus said, on that day, you call me Lord, Lord. I said, I do not know you. You evil worker. You are a worker of evil. But that is good work, right? No. It's the way you do it. Healing is good. But what did you heal? Is it because you want to show to be anointed? I'm just to give an example. A good work can be evil work if you don't read do it with Christian ethic motivation. And even to be a husband is a good work if you love your wife. It's it good work to be good parents. You raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. See? God wants us to do good work, life, life work. Any calling we are in, do it as unto the Lord, glorifying Him, and that is bearing fruit. And for that, God wants to thoroughly equip us. You know, all parents want their children to be successful in life, right? You want your children to be successful in life. Not only I want my grandchildren to be successful in life, fancy that, you know, you're one step ahead. I'm not, we're not sure whether you should be like that, but that's how we are. So parents, 
to send their children to coaching school, hoping that they may get into selective high school. You know? Oh, James Ruth. Oh, Bokum Hill. Oh, whatever. Then they want the, them to succeed in, in their career. Uh, make sure you go into medicine. Huh? Make sure you go into law. Make sure you whatever that you think is good for them. That's what parents are, understandable. I'm not judging them. And our father also, <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I'm guilty of it myself. And not only for my children, I have ambition for my grandchildren, but I know that it's out of my hand, you know. They don't, it's out of my hand. God, our Father, also wants us to be successful in life. But God measures success in terms of its eternal value, not earthly value. God does not measure success of His children in terms of the wealth they occupy or how high they climb the corporate ladder, but how they show Jesus as they go up the corporate ladder. And that's the reason why the Lord chose us to bear that kind of good fruit. Now, John 15, 16, let me quickly say this. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. When you do work that way, that is fruit that lasts. And so that the Father will give you whatever you ask, you see my name, and he will be glorified. When they see your good work, they will glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 5. Yes. Now, so how does God train us for our life work? How does God train us? Well, God gave us His training manual. Well, I like it. All the training. You want to be trained? Cool. God has given us training manual, the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scriptures is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I would add in, in warfare as well because it does contain trade manual for warfare so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped. You know, there's a saying the Bible, B-I-B-L-E, so B, B for what? Basic I instruction, B before L leaving earth. The Bible is what? Basic instruction before leaving earth. Wrong. It should be Sibo, Sibo. Comprehensive instruction before leaving earth. It is not basic, my friend. Bible, I spent all my years studying, I still haven't thoroughly learned it. It's comprehensive. Everything you need to do, everything you need to be thoroughly equipped is in Scripture. The Lord said to Joshua, you want to be prosperous, you want to be successful, meditate on my word day and night. See? This is how you're, you, so you've got to spend time. I know I'm guilty of not spending enough time actually in God's word. You want to preach a good word sermon? You want to be, how to be a good parent? How to, you've got to keep on being reminded of your work ethics, of your attitude, and so on. Okay then. Finally, how does God relate to us as a father? A friend? 
a trainer as disciplinarian. Oh, we don't like it, you know. This part of the God's role, I'm not very keen. But you know what? Good parents do not let their sons and daughters do whatever they want. If you let your children do what they want, they will end up playing computer game, watching TV all day long, all night long, and not do their homework. Rather, good parents establish rules for their children to teach them how to live in society, how to be successful in life. And when these rules are broken, good parents impose disciplinary consequences. Taking away the privileges, putting them in a corner for a time that they may be disciplined. Some people, some parents think that, you know, by being soft-hearted and lenient and not impose restriction, they are being kind. That is not kindness. That actually is not love. Parents got to have tough love because you want your children to grow up to be well-equipped for life. You, that's where you need discipline. And father, you need to be a disciplinarian. Or mother as well. If father cannot be, mother should be. If both cannot be, that's a gone case. <laughs> so, as a good father, God also disciplines us when we sin or do anything displeasing to him. God disciplines us, yes, and his discipline may take the form of putting guilt in us. When I, when I do something wrong, I feel, you know, why did I say that to that person? Why did I fail to help the person I was just rushing through? And then you, you lay on your conscience and God is disciplining you. God said, you know that? The Holy Spirit put that and you don't have peace until you confess. And God allow us to suffer the earthly consequences of our sin. God may forgive you, but you have to reap your you, you have to reap what you sow. Like the King David, he committed adultery. He committed murder. He, he repented. God forgave him. But you know he suffered a lot. You read it in his story. He suffered a lot. He, God allowed him to reap the consequences of his sin. That is discipline. Of course, not all suffering is a result of God's discipline. Just be careful of that. God the Father does not decide to see God doesn't delight to see us suffer. No. He disciplines us because He loves us. The purpose of God's discipline is to make us holy and become like His Son. You know, why did God call you? That you may be conformed to the image of His Son. He wants you to be like His Son, holy, Christ-like. That's all. And so that you may, you may not welcome his discipline. Right? But you should because at the end of that, you will reap a harvest of peace and righteousness and holiness. And this is what Hebrew 12 tells us, a famous uh, Bible reference. Let me just read it without comment. 12 verse 5. And have you forgotten the encouraging word God spoke to you as his children? My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't give up when He corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those He loves. And He punishes everyone He accepts as His child. As you enjoy the divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as His own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? 
If God does not discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate. You are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirit and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us, always. He's consistent. He knows the best. So that we may or we might share in His holiness. We, God said, I want you to be like me. Like father, like son, I want you to be share my holiness. That's why I discipline you. And no discipline is enjoyable. What is happening is painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of righteous living to those who are trained in this way. Discipline is one way of training you. That we may one day stand before Christ and be found what? Blameless and holy, spotless. And one day we will stand before Christ. Don't you, know, don't you think the goal is to be found blameless, spotless, and holy? I want to be that. I want that goal about my life. Let me conclude. You know, there is no greater honor than to be called God's friend. And that's what we are. There is no greater blessing than to be God's friend with the richest and the most powerful person on the, in the universe as our friend, what else do we need? If God is my friend, what else do I need? If God is for me, who, who, else, do I, who else do I fear? God is our faithful friend. We can always count on Him to look after our best interests and come to our help 24-7. He is our ever-present help. There's no time that's inconvenient for God to help you because He's your friend. God, because God is a friend, we can also expect God to bless our children, our children, children, our children, children, children. God's friend, God also confide in us. He reveals His plan for our life. But friendship is not automatic. Friends can, friendship can drift apart. There are hindrances to friendship with God. Friendship with the world, harboring sin, becoming lukewarm towards God, inevitably lead to a breakdown in our friendship with God. So if you are no longer passionate about God, examine yourself. Invite God back into your life. They may come in and have a meal with you. Spend less time with the world, spend more time with God. Walk with the Lord. God had a plan for our lives before we were saved, even before the world began. Because we are God's workmanship, right? Create to do good work, prepare for us in advance to do. So God is our trainer to equip us to complete our life work. The devil, the world, and our sinful nature gang together to thwart God's plan for our lives. And God trains us to overcome this adversary in spiritual warfare so that we can accomplish His purpose for us. God has left us with a complete training manual to equip us for every good work, the Bible. Friends, what an incredible uh, thing that God is our friend. God is our trainer. And God is also our disciplinarian, just like every good father. The fatherly love of God is a tough love. He disciplines us so that we may be found holy and blameless when Christ comes again. This then is the God 
of the Bible. This then is our God, our friend, our Father. He is our faithful friend. He is our patient trainer. He is our loving disciplinarian. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to praise you. You are the mighty, most holy God, almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the God of the galaxy. You are our Father, and you read to us as a friend, a trainer, and a disciplinarian. Thank you, Father. May we truly treasure this and cooperate with you that we may truly be blessed in all the dimension of this relationship and to be the person that you want to be and live abundant and fruitful life to your glory forever and ever. Amen.